Hey everyone, I'm Pastor Nick Tarter. I want to thank you for listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Bethany, Oklahoma, learning what it looks like to be in Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did, so that our world can be saturated with the good news and the good works of Jesus. We invite you to join us on this journey, and we hope that this content will help you to grow to be the person God created you to be. We uh, spent some time on retreat, myself and Pastor Dwight, and uh, and uh, we got to bring uh, Dennis Cole, or Dennis, Dennis Cole. Everyone kept telling me Dennis Cole was coming, Dennis Frost with us. Uh, I said, no, it wasn't Dennis Cole coming, it's our Dennis, um, Dennis Frost, our local Dennis, you know. So uh, I know some people thought, uh, it's like we say Dennis, they just think, hey, Dennis Cole, if you're watching, just know your people like you around here. When they hear the word Dennis, they think of you. Anyway, um, <laughs> but... Uh, um, and, and Ian came with us and Kendra and we, we, we just had some time away and it was a good time. Um, but then when I came home, I immediately noticed something, even driving into the city, it, it just felt like weight. And I felt weight start to come upon me and I just felt the depression of the city that we live in right now. Just the, you know, just, just how people feel so boxed in and we live in this crazy time with uh, this pandemic that we're, that we're all wrestling through and with all of these, these tensions, these cultural tensions that we're living in. And I could feel it. And, uh, and, and then, you know, I, uh, I got home and then I, I, I love my family, but, you know, back into to being a parent and then last night the baby woke up in the middle of the night. And so I've just been like this morning just feeling tired and and worn down and um and and I just want to share with you guys that that I probably need this sermon as much as anybody right now and uh um so today what we're talking about is we're talking about the resilient light we we started talking about the living light when we began this series in second uh, Corinthians chapter 3 and how the light of Christ is now alive in us Right? It ebbs and flows. It breathes. It moves in us and through us. It's alive in us and through us. The light of Christ, which is imparted by us as a, to us as a grace gift from the Father. And then last week we focused on the persistent light. How that light of Christ is persistent. It stays with us. It, it, wherever we go in, in, in life, his light is with us. But not only that, it's persistent through us into the hearts of other people who don't yet know the Lord. And today we're talking about how that light is resilient. Now, if you don't know what resilient means, it's a word we probably don't use super often. Um, but it's a term that's becoming more and more popular in theological circles where I run because we're talking a lot lately about resilient faith and what does that look like to be a person of resilient faith as opposed to someone who has a fleeting faith. But the uh, definition from the new Oxford American Dictionary, by the way, I received this dictionary because it's British and it seems more proper. So, um, of a person or animal able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions... For instance, babies are generally far more resilient than new parents realize. That's true, right? Those of us who've been parents, you know, with your first kid, you're like, oh man, I have to be super careful. With Toby, he's just like flopping all over the place. I'm like, hey, he's number four. I know he's going to be fine. Um, you know? <laughs> 
but also of, of substance or object able to recoil or spring back into shape after bending, stretching, or being compressed. A shoe with resilient cushioning is an example they give. Um, these, these particular shoes that I'm wearing, they're, uh, they're sketchers, I'll, I'll, I'll say. Uh, I like canvas shoes because I tend to find myself in the woods and I like to go hiking and they get wet and they dry out really fast. It's great. But, um, but I learned something about my feet. My, my feet are kind of weak because I had an injury, a martial arts injury when I was younger. I won't go into that. It was an embarrassing thing. The board didn't break. Anyways, um, but, uh, but ever since then, my ankle twists really easily. And so I've learned that I have to wear really good uh, I have to wear really good inserts in my shoes. So when I, when I buy new shoes like these Skechers, I, I immediately tore the inserts out, tossed them. And I have a particular brand. There are, there are, there are, there are some work, working man's inserts, you know, that I buy. And, and I put them in there, and they're, and they're great. My feet are a lot more comfortable because the, the, my feet are a lot more resilient in these shoes because the sole itself has a lot more give and it comes back, and it lasts a long time. It's resilient. It helps me to be resilient. And that, that whole idea of resilience, able to take what comes at you and then to bounce back. When I was in college, I discovered Seinfeld. <laughs> I probably watched it a little bit when I was a kid from time to time. But when I was in college, I really discovered it. And here's why. Because I was living in the dorms. And we only had a number of channels that were for free that the school paid for. You know, we had like limited cable. And uh, one of the stations would replay reruns of Seinfeld. And I remember this one episode. It's one of my favorite. One of my favorite things ever in an episode of Seinfeld is George Costanza is stressed about dying. He's just freaked out because he's like, he's realizing his own mortality. And, uh, and he's sitting with Kramer in the cafe, and he, and he says to Kramer, you know what drives me crazy? He says, it's people like you who live to be 100 because you don't care about dying. <laughs> and, and, and the point is well taken because if you think about it, it's true. So many people are so stressed out. And, and, and one of the reasons we get sick and one of the reasons we, we, we struggle, it, I mean, of course, it's a broken world, and so some sickness is unavoidable. But one of the reasons people do get sick is because of stress. It's been proven that if you have higher levels of stress and your body pumps more cortisol, which is, you know, if you remember in biology when you were in, you know, high school, we learned about, like, this is the, um, the it's, it's a chemical your body pumps in. It's basically, um, it, it's, it, it causes stress, and it can be a good thing in the right moment, but when it's constantly pumping, because we're all stressed out. Anybody feeling that? You live in the city, stressed out. It causes us a lot of issues when we're constantly under that kind of stress. Now, now what leads us to be people who are so full of that kind of stress? I think the reason why so many people are stressed out, bogged down, envious, argumentative, all these things is because we are living in life entirely for ourselves. Now, I even think this is often true of us who are believers. We, we find ourselves in a place in life where it's like all we can see is what's going on around us. And we're not looking outside of the situation to the glory of Christ that we're pressing towards. And then we get ourselves focused on the here and now and what's happening now. And we think this world is all that we have. And we start to live like that. And when that happens, we, we lack faith. We're like Peter when he stepped out of the boat and he was walking with confidence, all of a sudden he looked away from Jesus and he starts to sink. 
Why do we sink? Why do we struggle? Because we, we take our eyes off of Christ. We start looking at ourselves again. We start thinking, you know, Peter, I can just imagine his thoughts walking on the water, and all of a sudden he's like, wait a minute, I can't walk on water. <laughs> and he was right, by the way. He can't walk on water. Peter starts to sink. But, but Jesus can walk on water. And if Jesus says you're going to walk on water, you're going to walk on water. I was meditating in Matthew chapter 8 this week. And um, the story of the leper who was cleansed by Jesus. And, 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 and I love what he says in that story. He, he, he says to Jesus, Master, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And, and, and I heard the Lord say in that story to me personally, and, and I believe to all of us collectively, that when God's will has decided upon something, there is nothing that can stop that thing from happening. So when Jesus says to this man, I am willing to be clean, there was nothing that was going to stop his healing from happening. Nothing. The enemy couldn't stop it. No people around him who, who were probably saying, hey, be quiet. Don't talk to him. You, you know, you're unworthy. You're unclean. They couldn't stop it. Here's, here's the point of this. We've got to be asking the question, where does my faith rest? Where does my faith rest? Now, before we jump into this passage in 2 Corinthians, I have one more instant, instance from Jesus' life that I think I want to point out that's really important to understanding this. You remember the story Jesus tells of the two different builders in Matthew chapter 7? It's really important, I think, to understanding the Christian life. But, but you got one guy who builds his house on rock. And then you got another guy who builds his house on sand. Now, we who live in Oklahoma, we understand the problem with building a house on sand. It doesn't, we get wind around here, you know. But it doesn't work out very well if you don't have a good foundation. Here's the thing I think that Jesus tries, is trying to help us understand in that story when he tells the, these, these stories of these two different people. Is he says that the person who builds his house on the rock is the person who's building his or her life upon the teachings of Christ. But he says, this is someone who doesn't only hear but also does what I say. So what does that mean? It's, it's like it's not just up here. It's not just knowledge. It's something that's become practical for me. I'm now living as if it's all true. That's important. And on the other hand, the person, he says, who hears my words and does not do them, understand these both hear his words, which tells me these are both somewhat, these might both be religious people. But we're talking about two different types of faith. We're talking about a resilient faith, and that resilient faith is saying, I'm going to look to Jesus for my hope and satisfaction. And then we have a fleeting faith or a weak faith, and that faith says, well, I believe in Jesus. I, I like what I hear from Jesus, but I'm just going to keep building on myself. I'm going to bet on myself. And that's the way most people in the world think. Uh, I've got to read you guys a quote from this book that I've been reading. Um, it's it's, uh, 
It's called Our Good Crisis uh, by Jonathan Dodson. He's a, a pastor, a, a church planter, one of, my, one of my kinds of people, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but he wrote this in, in this book, and, and he says, um, although Rachel, uh, Rachel Denhollander, you may have heard of her, Rachel Denhollander, uh, she's known for being a high-profile, eloquent witness against Olympic gymnastics doctor Larry Nasser for his serial abuses of gymnasts. I'm sure we're all aware of this story. I don't need to go into detail with children present um, of what this man did. But it says that, he says this wasn't her first instance with abuse. Her first instance with abuse occurred when she was seven at the hands of a trusted Christian and a family friend. Here's where this gets really convicting. Whatever happened to being salt and light in a bland, dark world. Perhaps Christians have settled for appearing good without being good. I feel like I need to hear that. Do you? Perhaps Christians have settled for appearing good without being good. Is that a temptation that we face, church? I think it is whether we admit it or not. Sure, we do some good things, but unless we're intending to do them, those actions are not virtuous. They're just good luck says Aristotle. Virtue is intentional and not accidental. Integrity works to hold our public and private life together. Character is stamped all the way through. What happens most to you, how you are, uh, sorry, what matters most to you, how you are seen in public or what you actually do in private. Do you want people to think you're a good person without doing the hard work of being a good person? When we become more concerned with keeping up appearances in public than cultivating value in private, we contribute to the crisis around us. We're sitting ducks for the next scandal, and no one is a passive observer in this crisis. All are participants. I just thought that was a really interesting word. So, so what's the difference between someone who sort of plays Christian appears Christian, but their life doesn't match it, and somebody who roots their lives on Jesus, who is truly Christian, whose lives are impacted practically by the teachings of Christ. I think it's all about who we are centered upon, whether it's Christ or whether it's myself or this world. I've reminded you several times over the past few weeks that the core of this problem is, is not necessarily the things that we see. The, the greatest crisis humanity faces isn't world hunger or racism or civil rights. It's self-centeredness. It's the root of the issue. When Adam and Eve looked away from God and towards themselves and they took that fruit in the garden and we all are following that pattern ever since. We've been stuck in that pattern, just like our father Adam. Because Adam looked away from God thinking, you know what? i got to reach out and grab something for myself that I should have faith on God to provide for me. And see, that's what we're all doing. We're reaching out and we're grabbing for things. We're grasping for things when we should be waiting for God to provide. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. But in the American mindset, we think, no, it's the go-getter. It's the one who goes out and grabs a hold of it, who takes the bull by the horns. But that is not what the Scripture says. It says those who wait, those who wait upon the Lord. So here we, we run into what the Apostle Paul tells us about 
being resilient people full of faith in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to jump back and start with verse 6 where we ended last week because there's some good overlap here. And we're going to read this text. And I'm going to encourage you to read this and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through it because this is God's Word. Okay? This is not just another book. It's God's Word inspired by God from the Holy Spirit into the heart of the Apostle and now to us. And here's what the word says. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person, person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory so we do not focus on what is seen but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal amen can we give god praise for his word this morning this is a good word thank you lord there's several things i think we need to try to wrap our minds around this morning but it's going to come down to one thing. Okay, I want you to know. I'm going to say a few different things. But it's going to come down to really only one thing. And that is that we must live like people who are centered on Christ. Okay? That, that's the point. There's one point today. We must live like people who are centered on Christ. That's it. If you take nothing else away from today, but you take that away, then we will have had a successful meeting today, okay? So, so let's, let's, let's look at some things in this text and let's be encouraged by the Lord, the kind of life he's called us to live. But before we understand anything about this text, we first need to understand what does this text tell us about the character and nature of God? Well, it tells us first and foremost that God is all-powerful and that he's the center of all things, okay? Now, now there, there's several things, but, but you see that Paul tells us that the ultimate aim of everything that we are accomplishing as Christians is God's glory. That God will be glorified. He's the center. I, I always love the old confessions, but Westminster Confession is one of my favorite. And I didn't even grow up Presbyterian, you know, but I love it. I love the Westminster Confession. And the, the very first thing it says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's why we exist. It's why God created us. And that is the reason why ever since Adam and Eve reached up and grabbed that piece of fruit and they essentially said, my chief end is not to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. My chief end is to get what I can out of this life before I die. That's what they said. 
when they reached up and grabbed that fruit. They said, my chief end is pleasure. To feel good and to get what I want. But if we were created for the glory of God, understand that every time we take a bite of that fruit, what it does, even though we think it's giving us life, it drives us further and further into darkness and death. And therefore, the only way to get back to life is to turn away from ourselves and from the pleasure that we desire and back towards God. It seems like the opposite of what we should do. It, it seems like it doesn't make any sense, doesn't it? I mean, like, like I wrestle with this too because guess what? I still am a man. <laughs> and even though I've been with the Lord for a long time, I, I, I mean, I guess I just would have celebrated like my... 22nd anniversary of being a believer or something like that I, uh, recently. But, but here's the thing. In all those years, my struggle with my own human nature has not ended. I'm still struggling with it. And I still have days when I find myself in some kind of sinful behavior. And guess what? Now, I'm so thankful because now I start to hear the Lord say, Hey, you're doing what Adam did. I've started to recognize that actually my core problem in sin is not that I sin, but that I'm reaching for something that's not God to satisfy me, right? That's why I sin. Why do I go into my sin patterns? Because in that moment, I think that that is what's going to make me happy. That's what's going to ultimately fulfill me and satisfy me. And it falls short every time. And God is so good because in his grace, he, he will remind me of that. I don't hear condemnation from the Holy Spirit, by the way. And you shouldn't either. If you're hearing condemnation, it's not the Holy Spirit who's convicting you of your sin. The Holy Spirit's conviction leads to life, leads to repentance. The enemy's accusations lead us to self-loathing. You don't need to hate yourself when Jesus Christ died for you. You know what I mean? Like, Christ already died for that sin. So, like, I, I, I love, I, I actually kind of, it's weird, but I'm kind of like Paul in this. Like Paul says, I like I celebrate in my weaknesses, you know, because. But what he's saying is, is he's not saying we should boast about our sins. We shouldn't be like, hey, y'all should hear all the bad stuff I did this week. Check out what I've been forgiven of. Man, I really, I really got forgiven of a lot. No, that's not the point of. It's not like a boasting because we've been so bad and now we've been forgiven of that. Like it's almost like that attitude is almost like, hey, look what I got away with this week. That's not the point. The point is that when I look at my sin, I see what God is doing to overcome sin in me and how God's causing me not to want it anymore because he's teaching me more and more. Remember we talked about the veil that was over the eyes of the unbelievers? They don't understand this because when they look at these things, it makes no sense because they're, they're, they're in the dark. So they see when we, we say, hey, you know what? I don't want to live that party lifestyle. I don't want to go after, you know, drugs and, and uh, relationships and, and fame and all those things is like the things that will satisfy me. I don't want to go after materialism. Like I'm not obsessed with things anymore. They, they see that in us and they're like, y'all are weird. You know, you only live once. YOLO, right? I mean, some of y'all young people have heard that phrase. You only live once. I'm like, I'm like, not me. <laughs> I'm going to live again when, I, when I'm risen, you know. I, I'm, I'm going to die. It's going to get better for me, actually. So I don't have a bucket list because I know I'm going to experience everything in Christ. I don't need to get it all out of this life. I'm going to have a different perspective. But the world has a hard time wrapping its mind around that. Now, Paul tells us in, uh, in, in verse 7, he says, Now we have this treasure in clay jars. 
We have this treasure in clay jars. Now, let's think about what a clay jar is like. One, they don't look that great. I mean, some of them are painted ornately and things like that. But, I mean, yeah, they break, they're fragile, they're brittle. What makes a clay jar valuable is not the jar itself. It's what's placed inside the jar, right? And so here's the thing. Paul is reminding us, hey, your flesh is weak. You're going to struggle. That's real. But God is overcoming the human nature in us. And he's planted a treasure inside of you, if you're a believer, that is far more valuable than anyone can imagine. Now, when people look at you, they just see a person. They see a broken person. That's why the world has so many complaints against Christians, because they're like, you're, you're just as messed up as I am. And, and, you know, one of our problems, church, is that we've tried to pretend like we're not. We've tried to act like we have it all together, like we don't still struggle. And that's one of the things I think the world looks at the American church and in our pride and pompousness, and they say, well, you're just like us. The right answer should be, you're right. I am just like you, but I am being renewed in Christ. I am just as sinful as you. I am just as broken as you. I, I might be worse than you. Throughout history, the church has often been full of the worst people in the culture. Why is that? Because the worst people understand how bad they are and how much they need the gospel. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sick. Those who know they need repentance. And that's why it's so hard for people who are wealthy to enter the kingdom. Because they feel like they got it all together and that they're pretty good. We have to come to a place where we, we realize I'm broken and I'm destitute. That I have nothing to offer. And I'm 100% fully leaning upon his grace. But listen to how Paul words this again. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Remember what I said initially? It's about the glory of God. What we need is to turn away from ourselves and towards Jesus. That's what repentance is. You see, what Paul is saying is, is you don't have to marvel in your clay jar anymore. You marvel in the extraordinary power of God that is at work within you. And by the way, that's what we need to put out there for the world to see. Nothing of myself to bring, simply to the cross I cling. I love how the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, he says, I came, when I came among you, I knew nothing except for Christ and him crucified. Because Paul knew something. Paul knew he wasn't that impressive. Right? Paul knew he wasn't that impressive. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, was not that impressive. He was probably a really weird little man. You know, like when you, when you read the descriptions about him, he probably had some eye condition. He might have had ooze coming out. I don't know what's going on with Paul, but he was a weird-looking little dude. And, and in fact, the Corinthians looked at Paul and they thought, God, you know, I just don't know about this guy because, because when they saw other people who were true orators, you know what I mean, like, like true men who could deliver a powerful message, and they looked at Paul and they thought, boy, he's weak, <laughs> 
he writes big. He writes big words. That was because he had bad eyes. He wrote big. Now, he writes big, but, when he, but, his, but in stature, he's small. And what Paul said to them is, listen, you don't listen to me because I'm me. You listen to me because of the power of the Spirit that's in me and the authority God has granted me. And church, I want to I tell you, like, this world should listen to you, not because you're great, but because Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. And then he turned to you and he said, therefore, go and make disciples. We have every right to preach the word and to proclaim the truth of God into this world. Not based upon us and how great we are, because we're not, but based upon Jesus and his authority and who he is. But, but listen to what he says. Even though we're clay jars, we have an inner treasure. And, and because of what's in us, because of the fact that we have the power of the gospel through Jesus and his death and burial and resurrection, and now we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the indwelling presence of God, which is now building in us a holiness and a purity. It's as if God has placed the most valuable gold inside an ugly clay jar, and that's what we are. And because of that, here's what he says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. Which is strange because we're clay jars. I've never seen a clay jar to be very resilient. See, that's the miracle of it. Most people would be crushed under the weight of this world. And most are, by the way. That's why we sell so much booze and uh, and that's why drugs are so popular. It's why weed's legalized. I mean, let's go into all the things that we use to try to medicate ourselves, thinking that this substance is going to fulfill me. It's, I'm not saying that there aren't people who need medicine, okay? But, 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 but it's why these things are so popular in our culture, because we are crushed under the weight of this world. But Paul says we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. You think our world is worse than the one that Paul was living in? Paul might call us lightweights compared to some of the things he'd been through, you know? I mean, we have modern medicine. You know, they didn't. You, you want to talk about a plague? When a plague hit the Roman world, people, lots of people died. Not just a few people died. Lots of people died. You want to talk about a, a racial tension? We talked about last week about the Samaritans and the Jews, but not only that, within the Roman Empire, there was all kinds of racial tension. Oh, we don't even, we don't even wrap, we can't even wrap our minds around the kind of tension that existed in that culture. You want to talk about sexual ethics? Listen, they make us look like angels. <laughs> and, I mean, the, the things that, that were acceptable in that culture, I can't even name them right now because there are children present. That's not to say that we aren't messed up today, but Paul understood. Paul lived in a messed up world. And by the way, people hated him because of Christ. They hated him because of Christ. And yet Paul says... We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Paul says, you can kill us, but you can't destroy us. 
you guys know I can't help to get, I got it, when I get through a sermon without a Star Wars reference, that's weird. All I can think of is Obi-Wan Kenobi, strike me down now, Doth, and I will become more powerful than you can imagine. But it's true, right? Like for us as believers, if they kill us, they're doing us a favor. We're going to go be with Jesus. I'm finally healed. This world cannot throw anything at me that can overcome and overwhelm what Christ has done to me and what he's doing through me and in me. I love this statement. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. Paul says somewhere else that we have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's meaningful because you know what that means? It means I'm dead in my sin. I mean, I've died to my sin. I used to be dead in my sins. Now I've died to my sin, and now I'm alive in Christ. So that means we're going we're gonna to live as if we're resurrected beings, even if we don't have the totality of it yet. We live, or we who live, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. I want to encourage us to do something. If we're going to be a people with resilient faith who are centered on Christ, we, we got to remember that even though Jesus Christ had the high position and he's the center of everything, he laid himself down for us. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what Jesus said. I'm going to lay my life down so that you can thrive. But it's so easy for us to get caught up in the culture wars and to think, well, we've got to win this cultural battle. You know, we gotta, we got to rise up so the kingdom of God can have victory. Man, that's not the kind of battle Jesus came to fight. Jesus won by going to a cross. In fact, when Jesus' followers tried to, tried to go to war, Peter cuts the temple guy's ear off. <laughs> Jesus put the ear back on. You know, like, like Jesus loved his enemies. And by the way, his command to us is love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But how oftentimes do we get up in arms with everything the culture is all caught up in and we get angry and we take sides and we get our pitchforks and we're ready to go, you know, find the Frankenstein monster. You know, like we have that kind of mentality. We get swept up into it because that's the way this culture is. But Paul's saying that's not, that's not how we're going to live. No, we're, gonna, we're not going to take up arms. We're going to lay our lives down so that others can thrive. And by the way, I'm not saying anything about whether you should protect your family and have a handgun. That, please do not take that. As, that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to being militant about the things of the world and being caught up in that and distracted in that. And since we have the same spirit of faith, keeping with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. That's a quote from the Psalms. I believe. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he is died for you? What? We should start with this, actually. Do you believe Christ lived for you? Do you believe he lived perfectly in your place? And then do you believe that he died the death that you deserved? And do you believe that he's now risen from the dead? And then if he's risen, you're alive with him. I believed, therefore I spoke. Can I say this, Christians? We need to say that more in this culture. 
We need to speak about Jesus more. You know, one of the reasons why it's the foolish people who are the loudest is because those who are wise and who are in Christ are not speaking loudly enough. We got to say the name Jesus. Because where the name Jesus is, darkness flees. We got to speak his name on the, on the end of our tongues. He is our center. And if he's our center, he should be coming up out of us. I'm going to close with this. I want to look one more time at verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not give up. The temptation is to give up. The temptation is to look at this broken and messed up world. And Christians, here's what I hear a lot from, from Christians. I hear, oh, this culture is so dirty. I just want to retreat into my house and never come out again. Well, you're not wrong. It is pretty messy. It is pretty dirty. The temptation is for us to retreat into our Christian, you know, our, our, our sanctified spaces and to remove ourselves from the world. And we forget that Jesus prayed that the Father would not take us out of the world. Therefore, we do not give up. We are not going to give up to this world. We are not going to be beaten down by this culture that tells us that our voice doesn't matter because we're Christian. And, and that, that we're, we're, we're intolerant, and so we should shut up. Man, this world prefers tolerance to mercy. Tolerance is what I give to somebody that I don't like. Mercy is what I give to somebody that I love in spite of who they are. And God gives us mercy. He extends to us mercy. He says, I love you. Aren't you glad that God did not tolerate us? but that he was merciful towards us by sending his son Jesus to die in our place. We need mercy, and we need to extend mercy, and we are not going to be silenced by this culture. We're not going to hide. We're going to stand out. Because even though the outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. They may strike, strike down the body, but they cannot take away the treasure that God has imparted into your soul. For our momentary, this is such beautiful language, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Jesus is doing something in you that is better than anything this world could ever offer you. And understand this, if, if, if God is all-powerful and he's at the center of everything and this world was created for his glory and you are in him, do you understand that when all of this fades away, you're going to still be standing because you're in the ark that is Jesus so we do not focus on what is seen for, but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal I read this great quote from Dr. R.C. Sproul the late great preacher and uh, when he said, is the unseen world is what is most real and what's important. The visible is fading away. 
But the world lives the opposite, right? The world lives like what, is, what we can see is what's most important. The Christian, because Christ is the center of everything, and because we're in Christ, we can live like what is unseen is actually what is most real. The spiritual reality of what Christ is producing in us. I may still look like just another dude. I just look like a, a man. I'm pretty normal. I'm going to get older. I'm going to probably start to have a lot of funny quirks. But here's the thing. This shell is not where it's at. It's what God's planted inside. And by the way, I have every confidence that when Christ comes back and he calls his children up from the dead, my soul's going to return to this body and it's going to rise glorified. I have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. We are, as Paul says, afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because we carry the death of Christ in us so that his life will be revealed through us. It's the reality of the gospel lived through us, church. And so to be a person who has resilient faith, who has the resilient light shining through, I'm going to say it again. We must fix our eyes on Christ, not upon what we see in this material world, but on what Christ is doing in us, what Christ is doing through us. And that's where our confidence will lie. And by the way, if we live that way, with that mindset, it will change everything about the way we interact with other people. It will change everything about the way that we speak on social media. <laughs> Probably will change the way that we spend our time. Maybe less time on YouTube and more time in the scriptures. I don't know. I'm just, that's just a suggestion, but I'm just saying it will change everything about us if we truly live as if Christ is the center. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.